We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down divisional weekend and a look ahead conference championships. That's what we're talking about today on Ceiling Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch from my newsletter. BenGretsch.substack.com with me as always is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, divisional weekend, maybe not as fun as we were expecting, but a fun weekend nonetheless. A couple of blowouts. One of them somewhat surprising. The Bengals really just taking it to Buffalo in Buffalo. The Niners-Dallas game was pretty interesting. Uh, but I guess somewhat anticlimactic late, kind of low scoring. Casey Jackson will sort of turn out to be the best game of the bunch in the early part of the weekend. You being a Kansas City Chiefs fan, were excited that the Chiefs won, and yet you had been a little bit concerned about them going in. I was telling you last week I thought they would easily cover. They did not, but I would argue fervently that they would have if Mahomes wouldn't have gotten hurt, even setting aside the Jamal Agnew fumble and some of the other things that certainly broke their way. I think they cover that game pretty comfortably uh, if Mahomes is healthy. Meanwhile, you had either mentioned to me or on the show that if the Bengals won, that would be a pretty difficult matchup for Kansas City. So one of the things is we were talking before the show, we always say we kind of get our ideas from what Naturally, we just start chatting about, and we've been chatting here for a couple hours about all sorts of things, but uh, we were talking a lot about the Bengals and Chiefs matchup and looking ahead to that, and as it relates to what these teams have done in these last couple of games and um, the, the last couple of games that they've played against each other, the Bengals have won all three, all by a field goal. Chiefs led at the end of the third quarter in two of those, and with a minute left in the third quarter in the other, the Bengals uh, tied that game with seconds left in the third quarter. And so it was tied after three quarters. All three games, second half come from behind victories for the Bengals and three-point margins. But there is this idea that the Bengals have the Chiefs number. I'm basically trying to argue in advance that I'm not sure that they totally have their number. They've won some close games against them. But, Sean, you are feeling a little bit more concerned as a Chiefs fan about this matchup on Saturday about this matchup next week. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun starting point for the show because we can talk a little bit about how the chiefs did against Jacksonville, a little bit about how the Bengals did in Buffalo. 
and the thing that no one's really discussing at this point, but how they did it against the Ravens the week prior, which, I mean, if Tyler Huntley doesn't fumble the goal line, the Bengals don't even get to play in Buffalo last week. They lose to Baltimore, to Tyler Huntley a week prior. I'm not trying to knock down the Bengals too much. They are an incredibly good team. But the the take right now seems to be they are the best team in the AFC and, and, and potentially the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And so it is worth noting that they almost lost in the first round to a team with their backup quarterback. At any rate, how are you doing? You excited as a Chiefs fan that they moved on to another AFC championship? Obviously, the Mahomes injury is going to be a big part of the discussion as well. How are you feeling, uh, you know, about that, about the way Mahomes played with dealing with a significant, you know, a significant injury throughout the game? Yeah, it's exciting. Some of that excitement is obviously tempered by him being hurt because and and the one thing as you and I went around in circles earlier was there was no real doubt in any of our minds that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL and that potentially it didn't really sound like there was that much doubt in either of our minds that he's the best quarterback ever. And that's a, a huge piece of what the chiefs are it's definitely not the only thing the chiefs defense underrated they uh, throughout the last five years as they've been in these five afc championship games despite the fact that they, they led in all of these categories which would lead you to believe they are the best offense in football you know patrick mahomes leads in passing yards and touchdowns they lead in scoring they're a juggernaut because of him and then you have Really, at this point, there's no other way to say it other than a legendary player in Travis Kelsey. But there are a lot of weaknesses on that offense, and they've never considered to be a great defense. But as you kind of go through this evolution over the last five years, I don't think there's much question that this is their best version defensively. And that the young players they have on defense are ascending and are going to give people trouble Trevor Lawrence, you can either just kind of put it on him or say that the Chiefs, again, were a difficult matchup after the first half against the Chargers were a difficult matchup. He made some plays, but the Chiefs did limit the guys they needed to limit. And the Chiefs are going to make things difficult on Joe Burrow, especially with that offensive line issue that they have, especially with it being an arrowhead. I don't think anybody was rooting specifically for the Bills to lose just to take out what the NFL did with the weirdness on where people were going to play but the Bengals went ahead and said you know if we're going to play in buffalo we'll win in buffalo and now the chiefs do host the afc championship game so all of those things that were controversial kind of have gone by the wayside now at arrowhead stadium with the pass rush i mean this is going to be a phenomenal game arrowhead stadium one of the probably five best venues in sporting and yet there's still going to be plenty of of issues here because even though I'd say this is the best version of their team defensively, it's the worst version of their team offensively. And now you add an injury to Mahomes. One of the interesting contrasts with this game and with some of the controversy over the last couple of weeks is that, number one, I think you have to give a ton of credit to Patrick Mahomes. He didn't want to go and get the x-ray. <laughs> they wouldn't let him back on the field. He throws a little temper tantrum, but then he goes and gets the x-ray. He stands over there all disgruntled until they get the results. He comes back out since he didn't have broken bone, and he plays, and he plays somewhat effectively. This is a stark contrast to the situation in Baltimore, where there were people in that locker room who wanted Lamar Jackson to play, 
these are two very different situations. It doesn't mean that Patrick Mahomes is playing and risking his career to potentially carry the Chiefs to a Super Bowl title, and Lamar Jackson is not willing to do that. They're two different injuries, and they're two different situations because one of the things that you see here is that you see the value of having committed to your franchise QB over a decade and him not being concerned about those types of things versus not being able to have gotten that done. And when you have a contract, I mean, one of the things you mentioned to me, Tony Pollard now goes into the offseason with an injury that should be not an issue for 2023. And yet now, I mean, he's got, you know, a three month recovery, hopefully there are going to be things about that that knock down his earning power almost for sure. When you don't have that contract in place, it's, a, it's just a very different situation. But the fact of the matter is that Patrick Mahomes goes out there injured, throws a touchdown pass to MVS at the end. They will be hosting the AFC Championship game. And yet my belief was that, especially when you consider all of the evolution with the Bengals last year and the fact that they're able to make it to the Super Bowl, disappointing for them not to have won. I thought they were the better team in the Super Bowl. They get off to the rough start this season, but they have been the best team in football since the midseason point. And so for me, it's not that they've won those three games against the Chiefs. If anything, <laughs> I think that almost works against you. I mean, Ben, nobody beats the Kansas City Chiefs four consecutive times. But if you're the best team in football and now you're facing an injured quarterback, that's got to be in your favor, right? There are so many things I want to get to there. Uh, the Lamar Jackson thing, uh, great point. I mean, we coming into this year across four seasons had not made more than $10 million. An actual cash paid on his contract, his fifth year option, just over 20 million. He's now at about 32 and a half million, according to overthecap.com, in uh, money paid out over five seasons, including an MVP season and, and putting a lot his body through a lot already. I mean, he's into his later 20s now, right? I mean, he's played five seasons at quarterback, and, and obviously, quarterbacks are paid well, and pro athletes are paid well, and nobody wants to, you know, hear uh, 10 million dollars. I'd take 10 million dollars, but. I mean, he played four NFL seasons and won an MVP. And, and Patrick Mahomes has a $450 million contract. So there's a minor difference in, in terms of, as you were saying, what the teams have actually been able and willing to commit to them. And in some ways, I mean, yeah, you look at the Lamar Jackson thing, I think that was a really interesting point. And and it's, uh, I, I mean, I put the blame on the, the Ravens. I mean, I, I really do. He, he's done enough. And I don't really put anything on him, even if he wasn't 100%. He certainly wasn't 100%. We saw, I mean, the Robert Griffin thing is a great one where the knee wasn't really stable. He tried to play through it in the wild card round. He ends up tearing his ACL and making it worse. And it ultimately derails his whole career. He had a really promising rookie season and looked like he was headed for a lot, uh, you know, a long, a long future in the NFL and tried to play through maybe not the same injury. Like you said, they're all different, but tried to play through something where his knee wasn't stable and it, and it ended up creating a larger injury in, in his knee. And maybe it was unrelated. I don't know. But obviously not having a stable knee and getting an, another injury, you wouldn't have, no one would have wanted to see that for Lamar. So you understand him valuing this long-term health in that scenario. Um, the other thing I heard you say in there was that Arrowhead Stadium is a top five venue in all of sports. Was that, I mean, spoken like a true Midwestern Kansas City. Was that, in all, not just in the NFL, in all of sports? Oh man, I couldn't let that slide. That's a that is a homer take if I've ever heard one. It's a great stadium, but that is a homer take. Couldn't let that slide. But yeah, the Bengals and Chiefs. The 
first of all, this idea the Bengals are the best team in football right now. I mean, they're playing incredibly well. And you did make a great point to me when I was bringing up the Ravens stuff and emphasizing it, that that's basically their only blemish since they started to really throw aggressively. And Joe Burrow, I mean, I, I love – you have to love Joe Burrow, man. The moxie – Everyone loves to talk about like the outfits he wears and everything, the interviews. He says in an interview last week, he gets asked about their Super Bowl window. He says, the Super Bowl window is my entire career. And then he comes out the next week and he beats another 12-win team in the playoffs on the road. That's his third road playoff win over a 12-win team, not just road playoff win. I mean, we talk about road playoff wins being hard enough, but a lot of times those can get goosed by, you know, you're the five seed and you're playing against uh, the, the weakest four seed. Like Dallas has a road playoff win this year from being a bad Tampa team, right? That didn't really deserve to host a playoff game, if we're being completely honest. The Chargers don't have a road playoff game, but if they would have won a road playoff game in Jacksonville, similar point, I think, you can make. Joe Burrow has three road playoff games against 12-win teams already in his career. And just to like force you to, to go on record with an even more aggressive take here, Joe Burrow doesn't have the arm strength doesn't have the same scrambling ability and does have just crazy weapons. But there's no question that he's the second best quarterback in football right now. Is there? I think there's a question. I'm not going to take this one game and say that he's definitely ahead of Josh Allen. I am not going to say But there was no comparison between these two guys in this game. In this game, there was no comparison. And Joe Burrow is absolutely in that conversation. But the there's no question part is the part that I'll take. I'd probably even rank him second after after seeing this. I mean, Josh Allen couldn't even beat the Kansas City Chiefs in last year's playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know Sean Zimmer well enough, that's an obvious joke. Josh Allen played a flawless game in, in Kansas City in last year's playoffs and 100% deserved to win that. It was just a back and forth masterpiece. And, and if you're going to pin it on Buffalo's side, I would argue that the, the Chiefs won the game and then the coin flip helped them. But if you're going to pin it somewhere on the Buffalo side, it was obviously the Buffalo defense not ever getting a stop because Allen answered everything that Mahomes had for him. And we were all just disappointed to see that it end on basically a coin flip and they changed the rules and everything else. He was so good in last year's playoffs. He was the best player in football in last year's playoffs. And he only got to play two games. And that was a big bummer. And that's why I'm, you know, Joe Burrow also, I mean, maybe Joe Burrow has a case for being the best player in last year's playoffs as well. He obviously went and beat Tennessee in Tennessee, a 12-win Tennessee team, and then went and beat Kansas City in Kansas City and and then lost the Super Bowl, but still took him all the way there. But this year he comes out, he plays an incredible game in Buffalo. We talked about this as being a possibility, Sean. We talked a little bit, and I know I mentioned it on a couple of different shows last week that... I didn't really hear anyone else talk about it. Maybe other people were talking about it. It's kind of a hard thing to talk about. But in the game against the Bills that got canceled, they only ran a couple of possessions. But Burrow came out looking so good in those first that first drive and then just a couple plays until the DeMar Hamlin injury. It looked like Cincinnati had a good answer for what Buffalo might do for them defensively. They scored really easily in that first drive. Buffalo got a field goal, and it, took, it was a little harder for them. And the, the point I was trying to make was, you just look at that really small sample of that first quarter in that game. I think you had to feel like the Bengals were sort of favored to win that game if it would have been continued and if we didn't have the obvious, the obvious tragedy. They, I think, were able to carry that into this game, and that was something we talked about. If the Bengals were going to pull the upset, I felt like it was going to have to be similar where they just felt like they had a good game plan for what the Bills were going to do. Conversely, you go back to 
the Ravens, and I think it's very clear. A lot of people were saying the Ravens, I was playing tough, and I didn't really buy that. I picked the Bengals to cover against the Ravens and uh, a pretty big spread. They didn't. I was wrong. They lose that game again without a fumble at the goal line from Tyler Huntley that they run back for a touchdown. I think they lose. It's not a certainty, but they offensively were not very good in that game, and they got some help and some fortune. I'm not trying to be a Bengals hater, though. I, I feel very positively about them. You're saying they're the best team in football right now. I'm basically saying I'm not that confident about it. And I I was really impressed by the win over Buffalo and particularly with their defense. It's something we talked about, Sean, that doesn't get enough credit. Defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo called an incredible game. A lot of really smart film-based people on Twitter were discussing this, dialed up a lot of pressures. I saw one tweet and I wish I could – credit but i can't remember who it was but they made a comment about one of the i don't even remember who the Bengals db was but one of the Bengals dbs had like four pressures and only five total rush snaps so they sent him uh out of the secondary off the corner i think it was maybe their nickel corner or something five times all game and he registered four pressures which means that he got to the quarterback and um you know pressures are, are said to be more predictive of disruption and like negatively correlated with the other team's uh, offensive success than even sacks. You just want to get a lot of pressures and then sacks will come. Sacks can be somewhat fluky. Uh, but they were able to generate a ton of pressure from, you know, some different blitzes and some creative things. And the idea of that point about the DB is that every time they sent him, the Bills weren't ready for it. They didn't pick him up, got to the quarterback. They did a lot of things creatively from a scheme perspective defensively. And they really shut down the Bills. And you have to give their defense a ton of credit and their defensive coordinator a ton of credit. And that is something that has been a problem for the Chiefs in their matchups with the Bengals dating back to last year. They've had three games. John, we went through them a little bit. They played them in the regular season last year. They beat them by three. It was that monster Jamar Chase game. He had a 69-yard and a 72-yard touchdown. It was huge. It was in the fantasy playoffs. It was huge in deciding fantasy leagues last year. 11 catches, 266 yards, three touchdowns. Burrow, 446 and four. Again, about 150 of those almost in two of the TDs on those two long touchdowns, which we know Chase has the ability to do, uh, but also can be a little bit fluky in this game. No turnovers for the whole game. Pretty balanced in terms of you know things like third down conversions. Uh, the Bengals end up with more total yardage by about 60 yards. But, you know, again, they had two long, long TDs that helped uh, impact that. And as I mentioned, the Chiefs were winning this game in the end of three quarters. Uh, the Bengals were able to win with a field goal as time expired. AFC Championship, you have uh, a little bit of a different scenario. The Chiefs actually had more total yards. You had a turnover uh, a turnover differential that benefited the Bengals. Two turnovers for the Chiefs, one for the Bengals. Both of the Chiefs were pretty big. So was the Bengals, frankly. They were all in the second half or overtime. Mahomes threw a bad interception. I didn't really remember. We were talking about it. You said maybe it was one of the worst plays of Mahomes' career. I can't really recall, but it was a, a short interception intended for Demarcus Robinson in the third quarter. And it led to a short touchdown for the Bengals. It tied the game up with 14 seconds left in the third. They would go on to take the lead. Chiefs would answer. They went to overtime. Chiefs got ball first. And then Mahomes threw a pick in overtime. And that's a play we talked about on the show last year. Tyree Kill didn't make a great play on the ball. Kind of let it get deflected and intercepted. It 
as we're talking before the show, it wound, wound up being the last play Tyree kills Kansas City career because he gets traded in the offseason. It was their last play of that game offensively. The Bengals come back and, and get a game-winning field goal there in overtime in a game, again, that I think you can argue decided a little bit on turnovers, which a lot of times when we're looking at betting and stuff like that, the turnover battle is something that, you know, it, turnovers can be fairly fluky. Mahomes doesn't throw a lot of picks. He doesn't make a lot of terrible decisions. Not something I'd read into too much. Bengals beat him again this year. And both the regular season games that the Bengals have beat the Chiefs, by the, by the way, are were in Cincinnati. That AFC Championship was in Kansas City. But again, the Bengals beat them this year. They beat them 27-24, scored all 10 points in the fourth quarter. The, the Chiefs were up by seven going into the fourth. The Bengals had gotten a field goal. And then Travis Kelsey had a really bad fumble, which you described in our pre-show chat is probably his worst play of the year. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. That's the right way of describing that. He fumbles the ball in a fourth quarter situation in their own territory where they're winning by uh, four and they give up a short field touchdown and end up losing by three in part because on their next drive that it stalled out and they had to settle for a 55 yard field goal to tie it. Harrison Bucker missed it. Again, what I'm saying is turnovers, ill-timed turnovers, things like this missed field goal, there's some penalty yardage stuff in one of these games that I was looking at, kind of trying to dig through it. I don't think Cincinnati has Kansas City's number is what I'm trying to argue. I think these are three very close games between two very good teams that are pretty evenly matched. I do think you say it well when you say that Patrick Mahomes is so much of what makes the Chiefs good enough to be in that discussion because the Bengals are probably better in every other way. Their skill position talent is so much better. Jamar Chase is a superstar. He's better than Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's, you just said legendary, and I agree with that. But Jamar Chase is just more than that, in my opinion. But I'll, when you throw in T. Higgins and you and you throw in even Tyler Boyd and the rest, I think it's very clear they have more skill position talent. Their defense and all the all the positives we just said about Lou Anarumo, which obviously you can say about Steve Spagnuolo to a degree as well. Um, you could argue the Chiefs have a better offensive line right now. The Bengals certainly have some some issues there, but Burrow didn't let that bug him this week, and they, they game plan well around it. But I think these are two very evenly matched teams. The Bengals have won two of these last three games at home in Cincinnati, and then the one in Kansas City last year's AFC Championship, again, in overtime, Chiefs led late, a turnover in the late third quarter, a turnover in the late third quarter, Another turnover in overtime, which, again, to be fair, Burrow threw his interception in the fourth. I mentioned that was a key one, too. We can't just, like, write off on both sides. I've probably already made this case well enough. I'm just repeating it. But it, it feels like two really good teams, but that the overarching feel right now is Mahomes is hurt, and the Bengals just look so good against the Bills. We're going to ignore the Ravens. We're going to think back to how the – the Ravens game in the wild card round. We're going to think back to how the Bengals have beat the Chiefs in all three matchups, even though all three of those could have went the other way with, you know, without a Kelsey fumble, without an interception in overtime, they all could have went a different way. In my opinion, I think I like the Chiefs at home. They're only one point favorites. I think I like the Chiefs, even the Mahomes high ankle sprain. Ankle sprains can be devastating, but there are really severe ones that are more like four to six week injuries, or they can be broken bones. That's what's unfortunately happened with Tony Pollard, as you noted. There can also be milder ones. The severe ones, as I understand from the great work from people on on Twitter and, and, and that study the injuries a lot more than I do, is that 
the lingering effects from high ankle sprains tend to be more about the severe ones that are the four to six week injuries and longer. The fact that Mahomes returned to this game, the fact that they're already talking on Monday as we record this about Mahomes likely being ready to play next week, he's not going to be 100%. But I think it's a different type of injury. There's like multiple severities to the high ankle sprain. This is one that will limit him, but I don't think will be debilitating. I still think I like the Chiefs in this game at home. I'm glad to hear you say that because the Chiefs are the best team in football and they deserve to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, that he he looked good, but he's going to have issues with this. We discussed on the show last week and how you might want to play the playoff challenges that he rushes a lot more in the playoffs. That almost certainly will be taken away from him. His mobility in the pocket is among the greatest of all time, which is one of the things that allows these plays to go. I mean, you have this combination of obviously defenses have to be very careful and very conservative against him. It's hard to rush. That allows him to extend plays. But then once you've been conservative, I mean, how long can you realistically cover when it's Mahomes back there biding his time? But that portion of it is going to be trickier for him to do when he's limited. And then already... You know, in the first game, but then if you think back to 2019 and what does it mean if your legs aren't there for a quarterback? Now, it's different for Mahomes because he has this arm talent that is so unique. And if someone can throw off of one leg and make all of the miracle passes to win an AFC championship game and go on to a Super Bowl, it would be Patrick Mahomes. And yet, as with any other situation, when you have a great, great player, if you do take away something that is valuable to them, they become a little bit less great. You look back to the 2019 season where he suffers the dislocated kneecap slash patellar tendon injury. He misses a couple of games. He comes back and goes through a stretch where he has QB2 performances in four of his final seven games. Now they go on to win the Super Bowl. He's able to get back and get healthy as he has really a full half of the season between the injury and the playoffs. But he wasn't himself in the second half of that year. Very serious injury. Again, clearly limited when he did come back. And it doesn't mean that the Chiefs can't win or that they won't be a good offense. But there's so much more even riding on him now than there was when they had a Tyreek Hill this Bengals team, you talked about those three games. One of the things that clearly comes out with those three games is that in each of them, the Bengals had to do something pretty unique to win. If you're going to barely win a game when Jamar Chase has one of the greatest wide receiver games of all time, I mean, you can almost argue that's a red flag. The playoff game last year was part of this history of epic collapses that the Chiefs have at Arrowhead Stadium in key playoff games. Now, most of those obviously occurred before the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, but it's still something that just fits right in to what the last 30 years have been like for Chiefs fans. And then you talk about the game this year, you have the, the Travis Kelsey fumble. But the thing with the Bengals and the thing that we saw last week against the Bills, it's not just the Chiefs. Right? You tend to think of this Bengals defense as not being a big play defense. And as a result, not getting the credit that they deserve in terms of limiting good quarterbacks and good offenses, making it difficult for them to do what they want to do. If you can embarrass Josh Allen at home, you can make the chiefs look mediocre when Patrick Mahomes is limited. 
Now, whether they'll do that or not is a different question. Andy Reid in an entirely different category than really any other offensive mind in football right now. He'll have the plays that they need to beat that Bengals defense. But, you know, you get into that second half. The Bengals is really the only team that we've watched in the last two, three seasons that has been able to force three and outs to not let the Chiefs chew up the time, blitz you with points. I mean, Casey's going to have to score some serious points in this game to win. That's going to be a challenge for them with Mahomes at less than 100%. Yeah, and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time already breaking down all of their past matchups, but you were talking about the Bengals limiting good quarterbacks, and they have. But what the, the one that I want to zero in on again really quick and, and add some, some even more color to was the – the regular season game this year in Cincinnati that the Bengals wound up winning uh, 27-24. We talked about the, the Kelsey fumble. It's really a fascinating game in that both teams only had eight possessions. We talk sometimes about how football is kind of a game of possessions. There's typically about 11 on average for each team. Both teams only had eight in this game. And that includes the Chiefs having a two-play possession at the end of the half. Uh, and the Bengals having a, a little bit of a longer possession, but to, to run out the clock at the end of the game. It was a, a, a short, a, a limited number of possession game because all of the possessions were long possessions, or, or the vast majority of them were. The, uh, the Chiefs had five possessions of seven-plus plays, 38-plus uh, yards. A few of those were 10-plus plays and like 75 yards. The Bengals had seven possessions of eight plus plays, 39 plus yards. Again, several, six of theirs were over 50 yards. They only had eight possessions total, seven of them long possessions, able to, you know, move the ball down the field in a productive way. And they had ball first, the Bengals, and they were able to get out to a lead. They score a touchdown. Chiefs have a field goal. They score another touchdown. We're now into the second quarter. There's only been three possessions in this game. Chiefs didn't score. Bengals didn't score. Chiefs were able to get a touchdown. And then the Bengals drove all the way down uh, into inside the 10 and, and got stuffed basically on a fourth and one. And so the Chiefs sort of – Bengals had ball first, are somewhat fortunate at the end of the first half to only be down three because the Bengals came out hot and one of their drives went all the way down into the red zone and didn't get points on it. And so this game was very similar to what we just saw – in the divisional round against the Bills, but unlike the Bills, the Chiefs then did get right. some stops and pull the game back. Right. So then the Chief, that's where I want to zero in on in, in terms of did the Bengals really limit Mahomes in this offense? And this is a non-Tyree kill team. Chiefs come back in the second half. They score a pretty comfortable seven-play drive, travel down the field, and get a touchdown to open the second half and um, take the lead at that point, 17-14. Bengals answer with a field goal to tie at 17-17, and the Chiefs drive down and score again. Another pretty comfortable drive. There are a couple third-down conversions on these drives, so it's not like it was an easy, easy drive. And they got a nice kick return to start that drive as well. But they had scored touchdowns on both of their first two drives to start the second half. Bengals answer with a field goal again, a long drive on their end. We get into the early part of the fourth quarter. It's now 24-20 Chiefs. Touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal. And that is where Kelsey fumbled, and he fumbles as he's crossing midfield on a 19-yard gain that was a first down when they're up four. This is a drive that probably is another field goal that puts them up seven in the early fourth quarter or a touchdown to put them up 11 in the early fourth quarter. 
And that fumble turns into a uh, uh, the the Bengals taking over at their own 47, right around midfield. And I mentioned a short field touchdown. It was a, it was a 53-yard touchdown drive. And they were moving the ball well on the Chiefs as well, to be very clear. They come back. They score to take the lead. Chiefs have another long drive that stalls out with a sack on a third and three that leads to a 55-yard field goal. And then that's missed. And then the Bengals get it back and are able to run out the last three minutes and 19 seconds because they're they're operating efficiently as well. They get first downs. They run clock. They burn up all the Chiefs' timeouts. And no way am I saying the Bengals are inferior to the Chiefs. I'm saying this is a very close, tight matchup that both offenses move the ball well. That fumble really was massive is the point I'm trying to drive home here where start of the second half, the, the Chiefs came out touchdown, touchdown, and they're moving the ball quickly back to midfield, and that's the, where the fumble happens. Bengals answered with a touchdown. Chiefs had one more possession in the game is all, and they missed the field goal and ended up being a long field goal, and the Bengals did get that stop, and it was a big stop. But, it, it, I mean, it, when you play in these low-possession games, there's a lot of variance in them, and a, one fumble like that could be really important. I think we're going to see a game where both these teams are at, at a high level. I don't think we're going to see the Chiefs get out ahead and a big come from behind where the Bengals felt like the underdogs last year. I think these teams are evenly matched. I think you're right, but they're playing at home now. And again, I just, I really want to push back on the narrative that the Bengals kind of own the chiefs. And again, I really want to kind of push back on the narrative that the Bengals kind of own the chiefs, because I actually think the chiefs for most of these games have outplayed them. Joe Burrow is incredible in late game situations. The Bengals are efficient and handle things very well. But they have got some breaks, frankly, as well. On top of that, there are obviously scenarios where they could be in a similar spot and it's the Bengals who lose a fumble or or Burrow gets sacked on a third down, right? I mean, that can happen. It's not like everything going one direction on key plays or seeming to go one direction. I don't want to say that too definitively. I just mentioned the Bengals had a drive before half that Stall that inside the 10, they got no points on. You know, there's there's situations where the Bengals could have been in a better spot in this game and in the other past games, but I, just, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time. The Bengals are playing incredible football right now. I have a hard time thinking they should be. I mean, this one-point spread is shocking to me, that the, the Chiefs aren't even getting the customary three as a home field advantage. Obviously, Mahomes' injury is impacting that early in the week, and if he's perfectly healthy and that's reported by the end of the week, I would expect the line to move a little bit closer to three. But, man, I mean, do you really – you when we were talking before the show, you feel like the Bengals are going to come into Kansas City and win this game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I do. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> You're typically so optimistic. And as a Chiefs fan, it's weird to hear you be pessimistic. So I'm trying to talk you up. I'm trying to convince you that the, the Chiefs are going to win this game. The Chiefs haven't, just haven't been as dynamic offensively in the last month to six weeks, and that was before the injury. They don't have the weapons. One of the things, they don't have Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. So you think about, well, they don't have any wide receiver weapons, but they also had some addition by subtraction this offseason. That helps them a little bit. It, you would never have thought, and I argued in the offseason, that McCole Hardman couldn't possibly be a viable fantasy selection, and yet we actually are seeing them so limited at the receiver positions that having someone like Hardman who could catch a ball going across the field and take it 60, 70 yards from the touchdown. Now they're going to get some manufactured production from Kadarius Tony. He did increase his workload in the playoffs. And I mean, that's what they've kind of been pointing to with him. So that gives them another little piece. They did get the touchdown from MVS, but I mean, hopefully Hardman's situation last week where they said he's just not responding and not getting better. You'd love to see him out there to give them that additional flexibility in the playoff game. I just think that the fact that we were also concerned about the injuries on the Bengals offensive line, and it turned out not to be the story, then it's easy to think, okay, well, Patrick Mahomes injury, maybe that ends up getting a little bit too trumped up too. And it's just, different things. So where the fact that the Bengals were able to work around those offensive line issues are a real tribute to them. It doesn't mean that impactful player absences or player limitations will not be the story as we go forward. It was interesting to watch that Bills Bengals game and you almost got the impression that the snow was limiting the impact of the crowd and that was potentially neutralizing some of the things that the Bills could have done to take advantage of the Bengals' offensive line. But I did want to ask you about a play here. You and I had not really a debate, but just we were trying to console ourselves and and going through a play that made a huge difference to our fantasy fortunes. We played Richie James on a large number of lineups in the playoff to contest over at the FFPC and he was the highest scoring giant that part worked out well we were a little bit disappointed because he actually came in on more rosters than we were hoping now he was a good play so I'm not surprised that he came in a little bit higher but it would have been great not to have as many teams that were similar but the other element that is perhaps going to cost us like fifty sixty thousand dollars is that he did not catch the what could have been a 78 yard touchdown i mean maybe there are going to be some eagles defenders that have the angle you were arguing that when he's that wide open like just pop the ball up and like the very worst case scenario is missing him do whatever it takes to make sure that you get a completion there not a perfect pass also it seems like he should have caught it 
But I was remembering that conversation the next day when Joe Burrow had Jamar Chase wide open against the Bills. And Joe Burrow might have thrown the slowest pass that traveled 15 yards in NFL history. But it fluttered down into Chase's arms. He scores the touchdown. And from there, the Bengals never look back. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the James play, I mean, my my issue with it, and I had actually missed it live because I had family pop in. So you and I were talking a little bit about it. I went back and watched it, and we had this whole discussion about this one play, largely because, as you noted, we were in a position where it would have been worth a lot of money to us probably. But he's running an over route. He's crossing the field. He's running more laterally than upfield. Jones sees that there's no one guarding him upfield. You can understand why he's trying to kind of lead him upfield because if he does run under and catch it, he's gone, right? But my argument is you cannot miss essentially in a way that he can't get to the ball in that situation. I made a similar argument with the Russell Wilson throw to Jerry Judy earlier this season in Stealing Signals where the, the, the there was a safety actually kind of trailing Judy and he was further upfield and the way that Russ threw it up the field and caused Judy to have to turn up field, ran him back into the safety and actually made it a contested catch when he had, I, I argued, 10 to 15 yards and a lot of room between the numbers and the sideline. A big landing spot where he could have put a ball and Judy could have caught it like a punt. He wouldn't have had as much yak, but it still would have been like a 40-yard completion. Similar thing here with Richie James. It was probably only like a 25-yard pass. But if he throws it anywhere laterally towards the sideline, you don't want to run him out of bounds either, obviously. But the worst thing you can do is, is to, to run him out of bounds, even if he does catch it and don't give him any yak, or to send him upfield in a way that he can't redirect his, his momentum, right? He's accelerating the wrong direction. He now has to turn and get underneath the football, and he doesn't. I mean, he maybe should have caught it, as, as you know you pointed out to me. But it doesn't need to be that difficult. And if, if Jones does miss short and underthrow him by a ton, even if Richie James has to stop and catch it, he's so open on that play that he stops and he catches it. And then he restarts. Maybe he gets caught because then somebody gets an angle on him because he has to stop and restart. But I think he still, at minimum, catches a 25-ish yard pass and gets another 15 yards a yak. And maybe it's a 40-yard play instead of an 80-yard touchdown. But that's what I'm saying is you have to have the 40-yard play there. You can't throw it in a way that risks an incompletion. And, and what you described with a Burrow play, it's exactly right. I mean, there are quarterbacks that understand this. You don't have to be precise. If you're reading the defense when you're making your read as a quarterback, you're aware that there's not a player in I, – I, I, I've tried to make this point before, but I feel like some quarterbacks read their receiver, and they're always trying to throw a really precise pass to where that receiver is running – and others do a really good job of basically reading the defense and, and seeing their receiver in the peripheral and knowing the, where the receiver is because they know the route when they call the play and they trust their receiver and they have a rapport and all those things. But it's more of a, I'm looking at the receiver in the peripheral and I'm focused on the defense. I feel like guys like Burrow do a good job that on that play. He's seeing no defender is going to be able to react to this play. I don't have to be perfect on this throw. I can underthrow it. I can flutter it out. I can throw it soft as hell. And it's not going to matter. And I mean, I, the guy that I feel like I learned this from or I go back to watching was Peyton Manning, like especially later in his career, we joked that he would throw some ducks, right? But he would read the defense so quickly and deliver balls earlier than other quarterbacks could that they could flutter and be ducks, but they would get there on time before defenders could get there. I mean, he always knew how far away the defender was from the player. And so his, his passes were often not precise. They were fluttering and they were behind the player, you know, in air quotes, behind them. Not an accurate pass if you 
really want to judge how accurate it is, but he's throwing away from defenders as much as he's throwing two players and understanding that his players can make an adjustment on the ball in the air. There's no amount of reducing most NFL starting quarterbacks arm strength though, that you could possibly do with them to get down to where Peyton Manning was. You actually have to have no arm strength to execute the play exactly the way you're talking about. And yet you just said that Joe Burrow threw the softest throw. I mean, he essentially did the same thing, right? And and that's good quarterbacks understand that. You don't have to throw this ball in this way. Anyway, that's a lot of a lot of words on Daniel Jones missing one throw in a blowout loss. But Jones and Jones played better football this year. But it is a type of throw that when I'm watching games, a lot of times you say, Oh, Richie James should have caught that. And it's like that should not have been a hard catch. I mean, it's kind of hard to overstate that there's so much room for him to put that in a place where James can easily catch it. And I said, if you had to make him completely stop, he'd probably still have room to run after the catch. What you have to do is, if he has to slow down a little bit, I mean, there's still tons of room in between where he threw it off his fingertips and James not having to catch it at full speed and you're slowing him down, but he catches it and then he can get back at the top speed. He probably still scores, right? And you had room to underthrow it by three to five yards or one or two yards, which would be better, but it didn't have to be perfect. And he doesn't have to slow down too much. And then he's gone. We see this a lot with, with quarterbacks. Anyway, it's a, it's a huge tangent. Not really. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it because I love that conversation. I see it um, misunderstood with com- comments on Twitter and in other places. And it, the Burrow example is such a great one of the opposite where there are quarterbacks that just get it. And it doesn't look like a beautiful pass, but the player's so open, it doesn't matter. He catches it barely moving, and then he walks in for the touchdown. Yeah, it was a very nice play by Burrow, someone who, despite the lack of elite arm strength, has almost preternatural anticipation. That's Which is massive. You have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It is. We talk a little bit about Rich James. One of the reasons why that play hurts us, obviously, is it brings some other players into the equation. When you're thinking about the playoff contest, then we did a show that was at least tangentially building some teams at the end of last week. One of the key decision points, one of the key leverage points was going to be Saquon Barkley versus a receiver. We liked Richie James in part because he was expected to come in substantially lower than Isaiah Hodgins. That didn't happen. They came in very at very similar levels. Hodgins just barely ahead of him. You and I talked some about the passing matchup Raider and how the road of his tool really liked his route profile versus this elite Eagles defense compared to what Hodgins was going to be dealing with. I think one of the reasons that Jones misses this pass is just that it's the end of a very frustrating game where the Eagles elite pass defense has given him trouble that he hasn't necessarily had recently when he's been on this very hot stretch. Obviously he tears the Vikings apart the previous week, but we needed James to outscore Barkley for a handful of our constructions that did happen, but it was so close that that brings in the Bills game. And that was the other point there where we had considered some Dawson Knox. We decided not to go with him to go all with Stefan Diggs. Diggs, our favorite guy, Ben, it feels like we lost this on both directions and that we didn't have enough in the regular season. And then he has a bad two game playoff stretch a poor game here. Stefan Diggs has the miracle performance with the Minnesota Vikings several years ago in the upset, but he hasn't come up as big as the bills needed since he's joined Buffalo and actually become a star. So that part is disappointing in the playoffs specifically, specifically. Yeah. So 
the Knox teams jumps up there. We're still like, very invested in this. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of fun as we look at these next couple of weeks. Now, because you have Josh Allen going out, and especially in the second version of the contest, we were surprised that Mahomes came in as the number one QB. Now, you and I also did build some teams with Mahomes, and there is a, a scenario where a Jarrett McKinnon, who'd actually been scoring at a very high level previously, but the dynamic that you had to deal with for playoff two is how do you get your running backs in a way that you maybe get them in a loss if you need to, so you can end up with a, a very wide receiver heavy roster for the final four. How do you work that quarterback situation? We like Jalen Hurts. We were pretty surprised too that he didn't come in as the clear cut number one QB since his game was going to be much easier to get through than Josh Allen's game. And because he brings the rushing upside, he probably should have been the number one quarterback by a wider gap. But those are a lot of the interesting things there. We did, unfortunately, because James had more exposure than we were hoping. We are duplicated by one team. And so we would have to split it if we won. Now we're hoping to split second. We're currently in 14th. There are some Josh Allen teams ahead of us that we will probably only, pass. Yeah, there's only one that's not Josh Allen. It's the Knox team that you're talking about. Our other big concern here going forward would be that in order to navigate that running back situation, we went with Joe Mixon. He does have the big game. We don't think he's super talented. They pivoted to Samaje Pirine for a lot of the high leverage plays in this game, a lot of the underneath passes. As you were going through their game this season, Chiefs Bengals, one of the kind of funny things that we had sort of noted on last week's show as well. That was a game that Joe Mixon missed. I would argue that since he's going to be there for this game, that hurts the Bengals. <laughs> maybe that's why the Chiefs win. But we need more Mixon points. We're still very much at risk of having a Jamar Chase team beat us, would be my understanding. But the fact that this combination of Mixon and Lamb was far more productive than the combination of Chase and Pollard, that part was helpful for us this weekend. Yeah, and Mixon and James being more productive than Chase and Barkley, which is a really popular combo for those two teams. Yeah, the issue with you know James not catching a long touchdown, and he outscored Barkley, but the, the big constraint there is you have to have two running backs. And a lot of the teams, as you go through and you look at what the optimal is going to be, like the, the Chiefs are going to be Kelsey. The Eagles – are still up for grabs, but it's probably going to be either Hurts. I think it's probably going to be Hurts in the end, especially, obviously, the Eagles need to win and get to the Super Bowl. But if they get to the Super Bowl, it's probably Hurts is the best QB. If not, it's probably another pass catcher. You know, Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard scored. The other losing teams this week, the Jaguars, uh, a, a very big gap between Christian Kirk and, and Travis Etienne, or a bigger gap, enough so that Kirk is more obviously the wide receiver than – Richie James is by outscoring Barkley. So the point is, even though Barkley scored less than Richie James, if Chase comes back and outscores Mixon by enough that he is then the high score for the Bengals, Chase becomes the wide receiver you need. Barkley over James, even with fewer points, because he fits the running back slot, would become a running back that you need. There are a lot of Barkley Chase teams out there. So now we are in a place, Sean, where – Mixon outscored Chase by about three points, and we need him to now stay ahead of Chase 
by three points or so in this matchup with the Chiefs or for the rest of the playoffs if they're able to win the, the matchup with the Chiefs. Certainly possible, but uh, we were talking about some of the other teams we considered and, and played and things. And I think where you'd like to be is where some of the best Chase teams are because it's probably, I think, in most scenarios the case that Chase is going to trend towards the right play and then Barkley is going to trend towards the, the RB2 in the optimal lineup despite not outscoring Richie James. And so, again, if James has that long catch, that long touchdown, he creates such a distance between him and Barkley that that wouldn't have been the case. It would put us over the Dawson Knox team that jumped us, that is the team currently in first. But then it would also create more margin where Mixon wouldn't have to hold on to quite this extent. For Mixon to stay ahead of a Jamar Chase, that would require defensive indifference, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's basically what the Bills did. It seemed like every handoff that the Bengals did last week, Mixon had like eight yards <laughs> right in front of him. So, um, and, and you know, look, the Bengals gave him about seven carries inside the five-yard line again so that he could get a touchdown. It needed to be reviewed. I was sitting there watching that going, God, I wrote all year in the ceiling signals about how they're giving him so many carries inside the 10-yard line, and he's just unbelievably inefficient, and people love his expected points, but he can't find the end zone on anything. And then the first couple of times they gave him the ball inside the 10, I was like, man, this is what it's like to be a big Sid fan. Like they give him the ball there. You're like, this is a touchdown. And then he doesn't get in. Um, but he did finally get in. He got the TD and it pushed him over Mixon in the end. But it, it felt like, yeah, a lot of defensive indifference last week. He had that second goal line carry or the late goal line carry, I should say, where you also, if you're rooting for him that week, you want him to punch it in. And yeah, I wanted at a two-point game. It was close to it for sure. And at that point, it does look like the Bengals have it, but uh, you would just hate to not win because of something like that, or because of the Jamar Chase overturn. I mean, the Bengals could have won this game by by thirty. Ben, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm scared as a Chiefs fan. I mean, this was a complete and utter demolition of a team that we like as maybe the. I mean, if you're going to look at the last three seasons and say, you know, what's the best team overall, you might say the Bills, even without having won a Super Bowl. I mean, I would argue that they're not, but the Bengals just destroyed this team on the road. Yeah, but funny things happen in games, man. I don't know. I I, I absolutely do not in, like mean to come across like I'm discounting what the Bengals did. I think they're a fun team we've had a ton of burrow and chase and higgins exposure over the last couple of years we love tyler boyd we had a bunch of samaj ap ryan this year he was one of my highest owned late round running backs and got you know a couple spot starts out of him i love the Bengals. they're a fun team that's a I, I i love to root for the underdogs in the nfl i know some people like to root for you know the the the, the top play we watch enough football sean i see the colin cowherd um commercial constantly where he's like oh you like to root for the underdogs i'd like to root for greatness and it's like i just that's what i'm thinking of right now i see it constantly like i mean okay fine it's all right if you like to root for greatness i i love as a fan of a lot of long-suffering teams (laughs) in my own life i totally understand what it's like to be a Bengals fan and now you have something cool going and i mean it's there's nothing i'm trying to take away from that it's so uh fun it's good for the nfl they got great uniforms a great stadium like the Bengals are cool man like i I like the Bengals a lot 
I always liked them even when they were bad when I was growing up. I was like, this is a fun team. I liked when Carson Palmer and, you know, Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada. I, I always had Rudy Johnson. I always had those guys in fantasy. They were fun. Bengals have always been cool. A team that I that I pull for. But, yeah, so I, I just don't love saying negative things or, or trying to tamper it down. That, that win last week was – or yesterday. We're recording on Monday. So impressive. And yet – I mean, weird things happen in NFL games. If they play that game 10 times, the way the Bengals look, you probably say they win seven or eight. But, like, they don't win 10 out of 10. They're not just, like, clearly better than the Bills. That's not how that goes. And then we're going to more or less stop it there for today. We're excited to come back later in the week, look at more of these games. But just as a little bit of a teaser, you were saying you were surprised only Chiefs by one. You have Jalen Hurts look healthy. You have their weapons look unstoppable as a group. You have their defense completely squash an emerging fun story with the Giants and Daniel Jones. On the other side, Brock Purdy finally looks a little bit more like a late-round rookie QB. The 49ers are unable to take advantage of all their weapons. Christian McCaffrey not 100% and losing all of these touches to Elijah Mitchell and also to where you're getting Debo Samuel carries. Now, I'm not against the Debo Samuel carries. You know, he might be the best running back in football if he were simply a running back. Surprised that this spread is so small. I mean, the, the Eagles have to be huge favorites here. I was. Yeah, this one opened at two and a half. It pretty quickly moved to where it was two and a half with juice and even three at some books. It looks like it's moved back a little bit today. Um, but yeah, the Eagles at home, not even being, I would have put them at three. And the difference between two and a half and three, we've talked about this on the show before, when you're looking at betting lines, is, I mean, is big. I, I don't know the exact numbers. People who know betting better than me would, but it's as big as some of the multiple point differences between like, you know, I don't know, three and a half and five and a half is not a huge difference because three is such a key number. Six and seven are key numbers. The difference between three and a half and five and a half, not a lot of games land on, you know, four or five points. Um, certainly four can, you can have the 17, 13 type, type scenario, whatever, but 27, 23, whatever it is. But this three-point number, and when you're talking about home field advantage, all that is is usually pretty big. And the Eagles opening at two and a half was very surprising to me. I would expect that to get to three everywhere by the end of the week. Right now, it's either two and a half minus one twenty, minus one eighteen, that kind of stuff, or it had ticked to three at a couple books. But I think it's back to two and a half at most books as we record this. Anyway, I would expect that to move to three. I'm not. I even three. I mean, I, I you you said larger i mean i i would have thought three and a half more than two and a half is what i'm getting at and, and three and a half is always a tough line the other way because then i'll obviously if the game's just decided by a field goal a lot of games are a lot of these good playoff games are uh this two and a half three and a half conversation is a big difference when when the games can be decided by three but at such a high rate but i would i would have thought three and a half more than two and a half and we discussed arrowhead and how it's the best venue in the nfl one of, maybe one of the best anywhere and yet, I do think the home field matters a lot more in the NFC. We've watched both the Chiefs and the Bengals just play so well on the road and the things that they do travel so well. I think that the 49ers are a team where you'd love to have them at home or if you have to play them, 
You're glad that you're going to have the crowd noise on your side for this rookie quarterback. You're glad that you're going to have the fans doing what you need when you are on offense to help you prepare for this just rampaging defense that the 49ers have. I think the home field in that game is definitive from the standpoint of really solidifying what is already a stronger Philadelphia Eagles team. I mean, this is going to be a fun one. You said sort of as a teaser, maybe we'll break this one down in our next episode at more length, but the Eagles looked incredible. I I felt like when we were doing a lot of the playoff challenge stuff, Sean, and we talked a little bit about this, I I felt like they were kind of undervalued, weirdly enough, as a one seed, somewhat because they had a bye, but I'm glad we're getting the Eagles and Niners. We talked about this, um, you know, dating back to the first round of the playoffs that I kind of thought it would be one of these top five teams. And it, it did wind up being four of those top five teams, the Bills and Bengals being the one that was, you know, kind of meet in the divisional round. We get the Chiefs, the Niners, the Eagles. We're we're now left with four of those top five teams in the conference championships. It is one of those years where the best teams rose to the top, the Bills being the one in that group that doesn't get get here. And I'm glad we see the Niners get here and, and we get the Niners-Eagles matchup. That I think it's going to be an absolute ton of fun. The two best teams in the NFC, and it's been clear since midseason, really, by by a lot. I mean, the Cowboys are, are very good, too. There's other teams you can kind of make a case for, but I think it was always destined for this, or, or not destined because a lot can happen in football. But I'm glad that we get this matchup. Having said all of that, the Eagles, I think, are better. And especially when you look at the quarterback position, they're they're both of their offenses very unique, very multiple, can do a lot of different things, and can do a lot of the, the different things they can do are different than each other. And so it'll be a lot of fun to kind of break that down, talk through how we think that will go. But the, again, I, I've, I've felt like since the beginning of the playoffs, the Eagles is the one seed in a, in a much weaker conference without really any other good teams or incredibly good teams, I should say, other than maybe this Niners team being their biggest test. I, I thought they were undervalued all the way. And they, they are facing the Niners, the, the one team that, that since the beginning of the playoffs I've thought could challenge them. And this is the game that I've been looking forward to and I'm very excited about. But I still think it, you know, this opening spread, as you asked, I mean, they're still a little undervalued. The Eagles are very good. Their defense is very good. Their passing game is very good. Their running game is very good. Their offensive line is very good. And the Niners have a lot of that going for them, too. So it'll be a fun one to break down on our next show. It will be. And after a mildly disappointing divisional round, these two games in conference championship weekend, this is even better than the Super Bowl. We can't wait. That'll be Stealing Bananas for today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Signals, for Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2023 for a 10% discount on your one-year subscription. Leave us a rating and review for the show. That helps us with the algorithm. Subscribe to the feed, and you'll get shows like this that come out outside of the regular tempo. Drop us a comment on YouTube. We'll talk to you guys soon.